Well, amen. It is great to have you with us today as we uh, just gather together to celebrate who God is and to bring more and more of his promises and perspective into our life. If you are just now joining us, we've been in a series for a few weeks called Royal Habits. We've been looking at uh, certain habits that kings had. And if we are sons and daughters of the king, what are certain disciplines or habits that we want to put in place in our life that God can use to help conform us into his image? Habits like prayer, trust. We learned how to trust while grieving. We learned repentance, an unbelievable story last week of how God worked in Manasseh's life and how he was able to repent the last guy you ever thought would repent. Today we're going to look at the discipline of assessing and studying and what it looks like to practice that, which will kind of set up a little bit of worship as well as we get to next week's work on how do we practice the habit of worship in our life. Then lastly is a habit you don't think about a lot, but it's very, very critical to walking with the Lord, which is learning from discipline. I don't like discipline. Well, neither do I, but I'd rather learn from it than repeat it. And that's where we'll end in this series. So today we're looking at the discipline of assessing and studying. Studying ourselves, studying God, his promises. And we really have two choices in our life. We can conform to the king of the world. Because I promise you, the culture is studying you. It is assessing your weaknesses and your temptations and it's pushing its value system into you that you would conform to the king of this world. Or we can be transformed to the king of the word. So we find that it's not just the Bible we're reading. There's someone in there. The Holy Spirit is in there speaking to us about the king of the universe, teaching us, assessing us, searching our hearts As we come to the word, it it gives us promises, it convicts us, it reminds us of areas we need to adapt our life and walk in different ways. So how is your discipline of assessing your own heart, assessing your values, and studying God's way, God's promises, God's word to align yourself to it? We're going to look at that today with two kings. The first king we're going to look at kind of summarized where we were last week with Manasseh. I'll give you a quick, quick reminder where you were because it's a nice contrast to where we are with Josiah. And King Manasseh is a case study in someone who worships the world and the king of the world. Versus Josiah, we're going to find, does the opposite. So let's start with Manasseh. Quick review from last week. Manasseh just continues to do the wrong thing until he repents. He becomes conformed to the culture around him. But notice what happens. It says, and he worshiped. He assessed what is valuable. He studied what he thought is valuable. And he got conformed to what was valuable. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And that's not a compliment, as, as Drew shared with us. This is him uh, worshipping the, the things that are not God, the stars and things like that. He, he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. He built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts. See, he's like putting other worship in God's chambers. And the word for worship here is interesting. It's the word saha. It actually means to bow down to something you raise up. Whenever you raise something up, you bow down to it. You become conformed to it because you're, you're in servitude to it. You're submissive to it. 
You might raise up God and become like God. You might raise up pleasure and you bow down to pleasure. You raise up needing people's approval, you bow down to people's approval. All these things you raise up become the very thing that you bow down to. The Bible calls those idols. But the question is, what do you raise up in your life? Is it money? Is it reputation? Is it status? What is the thing you raise high and you bow down and serve and become conformed to it? You end up building altars in your life to those things, the host of heaven in those two courts. Well, because this has been going on for so long, God says it's consequence time. We learned a lot about that last week, and I love Drew's example of, of the wash down and spray down. Look again what Jesus said, or Yahweh said to them in particular. He said, behold, if you're not going to wash up, if you're not going to clean up your act, if you're not going to repent, you got two choices. You're going to get cleaned up one way or another. You can, get, you can wash up yourself or I can spray you down. And he says, I'm bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, your ears are going to tingle. Oh, wow, let's not do what they did. I'm going to wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I had a friend of mine, uh, Matt, he's a pastor now. When he was 16, his dad had him uh, pressure washing the, the, the deck. But it wasn't just like with water with high PSI, it was like with sand. I mean, he was blasting off the sand and, uh, and blasting off the top of the deck. And this thing was, you know, tearing off the first layer of the deck so they could repaint it or restain it. As he's 16, he's out there with this cool thing. He's pushing so many of those old chips off that one of the wood chips falls over and lands on his hand. And as he's kind of working hard, he sees that speck there, and he could have shaken it off. He could have taken a moment and washed it off. But what does a 16-year-old do when you've got a speck of wood on your left hand and you've got a pressure washer in your right hand? Oh, he reaches out his hand, takes the pressure washer with the sandblaster. He took care of the speck. He took care of the speck and about three inches of skin that got sandblasted off as well. He was like, that was an overkill. Oh, what was I thinking? The same thing for God. If you don't want to wash off, shake off the sin, flick off the patterns in your life, if you don't wash up, you're going to get sprayed down. And it's going to be painful. It's so much less painful to repent. And to finish up Manasseh, because I think it's helpful to remember where we are before we get to Josiah, is this entire book has been a case study for the exile. God has been saying, why did I send Assyria over to conquer the northern kingdom? And why did I eventually let Babylon come in and conquer the southern kingdom? He's like, look at the last 20 chapters, 22 chapters. It's just a stack of bad kings. And God summarizes it this way. He says, so I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of my enemies and they will become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight. They have provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt to this day. Listen to that last line. They have provoked me to anger ever since the day <laughs> their fathers came out of Egypt. Well, that goes back farther than kings. That's Egypt. That's the book of Judges. That's the book of 1 Samuel. 
Saul, David, Solomon, kings. God's like, I have waited and I have been patient and my people just keep rebelling. So I eventually had to give tougher and tougher love. And he's basically built the case as we've been reading about for the last couple months. Wow, I guess is the only way they would learn. But in the midst of that, we've seen such grace and kindness and compassion from the God of the Old Testament. He doesn't want them to learn through tough love. He wants them to wash up, not be sprayed down. Here's a quick summary of the book of 2 Kings. And look at how much grace we have from God in here. For the first 10 chapters, we had Elijah and Elisha performing miracles, showing God's power, showing God's promises over and over and over again. And how did the people respond? They rejected him. So then we have from chapter 11 to 17, we got all these kings of north and south doing bad stuff. And God continues to give an opportunity, grace, a second chance, all right, relief, I'll rescue you from your enemy, let's try again. And what do they do? They just keep rebelling. So then we move into chapters 18 to 24 where we are now. God gives two really great examples of what it could be like, of what a king that seeks after his heart is like. Hezekiah is one, and Josiah today is one. And of course, as you saw last week, Manasseh eventually became one, though he was a tyrant beforehand. And do the people take these two examples and say, wow, I need to restore my life, I need to repent my life? No, they refuse to follow these kind of examples, which will lead us up to chapter 25 in two weeks. A powerful example that points directly to Jesus. There's a king that will be a prisoner. And because of God's grace, he who is a prisoner will be elevated to royalty. So that's what he's been trying to say. He's been trying to say, I had to give my people over to judgment because they just wouldn't listen. They just continued to be conformed to the king of the world. Now we pick up in chapter 22 with Josiah. We see that Josiah is going to conform himself to the king of the word. So we'll pick up in the last couple of verses of chapter 21. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah the king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles in the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. And Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. And we're just going to see an incredible heart for God from Josiah. He is now going to be seated in the throne room. He is now going to be God's king in God's place, leading people in God's way. Chapter 22 begins. Now Josiah, get this, was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem... His mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscoth. All pronounced correctly, by the way. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's awesome. More than that, he walked in the ways of the Lord. He thought to himself, how do I prioritize with God's priorities? How do I align myself to what God wants me to align to? How do I look at the things that, that have not been given attention 
with my time, my treasures, my talents? And how do I as king reprioritize the kingdom to God's values and God's priorities? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David. Now what a compliment. The king known for being a man after my heart. You are like him with your Davidic heart. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And Chronicles gives us a whole lot more details just how amazing his obedience was. So as he's doing this, it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord. So basically... We're looking at the kingdom. Manasseh destroyed a lot of stuff. Some things have been in disrepair. Some of God's priorities haven't been prioritized. Hey, Shaphan, I want you to go down to the house of the Lord. And I want you to go to Hilkiah, the high priest. And I want you to count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord. Which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. So just imagine there's a treasure house there. And in this treasure house was all the money the people have been giving to God's work, for God's priorities, for God's place. But it's just been kind of accumulating and no one's been doing very good accounting. This is like the, the, the case for the, the CPA, the case for accountants, and the case for why assessing where you are financially, assessing your own life, assessing your own checkbook is a very spiritual discipline. So he does that. So picture just this room full of treasure, gold, silver treasures. Uh, picture like Scrooge McDuck, you know, a gigantic vault he has he's swimming in. Probably not that big, but it's several feet deep as we're going to find out. Let them take the money after you give account to it and deliver it into the hand of those doing work to repair the damages of the house. God's house is in disrepair. Let's take the money that we've given cheerfully from our hearts and let's prioritize fixing it and teaching people how to worship. I want to hire some carpenters, hire some builders, hire some masons. I want you to buy timber, hewn stone to repair the house. However, once they gave the money to the, uh, the builders, they were so faithful, they were so responsible that they didn't have to make a count to them. They were going above and beyond the count of duty. They weren't just doing the less with the money. And, and they dealt so faithfully with it. So here's what's interesting. As they're sitting there, looking through all the money. All right, we got some gold over here. Let's count the silver over here. Okay, we got a couple treasures here. As they're digging through the treasures, underneath all that money is a copy of God's word. Now Manasseh had seemingly destroyed every copy of the Bible he could get a hold of. So it seemingly has been a generation, maybe even two, if you count Ammon and the whole piece, almost two generations have not had a copy of God's word. And one copy was at the bottom of the treasure house. And the only way they found access to the word God had for them was to count and assess their finances. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, in counting and going through the treasures said to Sephon the scribe, Oh my goodness, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They were going off oral tradition, what they thought God wanted, what they'd heard God wanted, but they literally did not have a copy of the Bible. 
And the only way they found a copy of the Bible and found the word God had for them is it was buried under the treasures of the kingdom. And I want to suggest to you, and I've just seen this in my life, I've seen this in the life of so many people, God might have a word for you, but it's buried under your treasures. And until you assess, why do I get so upset and why do I get so overwhelmed with worry? And it's until you assess that, you find out God has a promise underneath all those patterns. And until you work your way and assess your way through it, you may not find, why am I treasuring, controlling the future so much? And why is it that I so need people's approval? And you begin to count and assess why you need people's approval and where you're finding your identity from, God or man. And God may have a word underneath that, how treasured you are, even without people's approval. But you're not defined by that. And certainly financially that's true. That as we begin to say, God, what are your priorities? And what does my checkbook and my calendar say? And in the process of assessing that, you might find God has a word for you. And that word might be, well done. Well done. I am so proud of how you're stewarding the time, the treasure, and talents I've given you. And God will just reach in, pull you close, and say, I am proud of you. That might be the word God has for you. The word God might have for you is, you know, well done, but keep going. I want you to become progressively more generous. During COVID, my friend Art shared his story. I think we interviewed him on tape um, as part of the services when we were doing TV church. And, and Art talked about how a lot of his life he was consumed with, with lust. Lust for pleasure, but also lust for things. And as he was sharing his story, he's like, you know what? I just couldn't have enough things. And Art's an incredible guy, a good friend of mine, and he competes in all times, types of stuff. He's a competitor on bicycles, and he's a surfer and a wakeboarder and everything else. He goes, you know, I have had like, I don't even know how many wakeboards, how many snowboards. I, I bought another bicycle and another bicycle. I just kept buying more stuff. And he said it was through a medical condition that I didn't see coming that I suddenly had to come face to face with the fact that I just had always lusted after things. And it was that medical condition I began to assess, go through the things I treasured, the habits I had. He said, God has had a word for me. I grew so deeply through this. Chad, I have become such a person of prayer. And I would not have found that word, the, 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 the way it's worked in my marriage, the way my life has been realigned to God, but for assessing my treasures. My son Steve is the same way. Steve had come to our church for a couple of years and he heard me give a message about um, margin in your life at the exploring service. Steve came and he said, Chad, um, you said something in a message four months ago. You said that, do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Because I just realized my stuff owns me. He has a very, very successful business, was doing you know, very, very fine, thank you very much. Um, but he had this, these collectibles, very valuable collectibles. But he said, these collectibles I've been collecting, <laughs> I've been insuring, and I've been storing for three decades. And I just realized I don't need the money from the collectibles as much as I, I want to buy my own freedom, he said. I decided to sell the business with the collectibles. I decided to sell the collectibles and just create some margin in my life. Less insuring, less worrying, more freedom. 
guys, well, man, that is awesome. And again, what did he do? He assessed what he found as valuable, and he found a word of freedom from God underneath. As I was talking to him, I said, well, why do you want to meet today? He goes, well, because I've never been a very generous person. I said, well, you got to try it. It's, it's, it fills you with a lot of joy. He says, well, I am. I feel like God has been prompting me to be more generous. And like I've been generous to people I haven't thought of. A, a mentor of mine who, who first got me into to business. A, a school that I went to that I never really said thank you to financially. And then he, he pulled out a checkbook and he said, and I realized I've grown so much here at Horizon. God has brought me so much freedom and, and coming to Christ here. Uh, I wrote a check for, the, check for the first time to the work at Horizon because I want other people to know and find what I found. Incredible. Just incredibly part of these joys where you see people assessing their values and finding a word God has for them. Well, that's kind of what happens next because the next thing we see is after they find this word of God underneath here, Hilkiah, Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So they, they go and they read it before the king. And, and so Shaphan the scribe went to the king. And brought the king word that they found a copy of God's word. Saying, your servants have gathered the money, we assessed, that was found in the house. We looked through our valuables. And have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work. Just like you said, we got the work going. We're prioritizing spending on God's priorities. And those who did the work who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, and Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. We have found a scroll of God's word underneath us all. The king, hearing God's word for the first time seemingly in his life, he's hearing it word for word, directly from the text. Now it happened, it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ichim, the son of Shaphan, and Echbor, the son of Mechon, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Aziah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me. Ask God, oh my, are we this far off? Have we missed this many promises and this many commands? Inquire of the Lord. The instinct of assessing in your life, the instinct of hearing God's word is, I need to hear from God. Oh my, goodness, woe is me. I am undone. I'm an unclean man. God, please tell me what I should do. I was uh, visiting with an old friend of mine, and he had this exact experience recently. It was just so powerful. His name's Steve. I've known him for 30 years. And Steve's an architect. And he had built a very successful architectural firm in, uh, in Atlanta. And he said, kind of how you build an architectural firm is you get business, hire an architect, get more business, hire a second architect, keep getting more business, hire a third, a fourth, a fifth. And he'd really grown this company successfully for 10 years. He said, and, and it was going great, and he felt really honored by God. He was prioritizing God, building a great business. It's about five years ago, he was on a spiritual retreat and just out in the woods praying and asking God, what do you want me to do for the next five, ten years of my life? He's inquiring of the Lord. And he said, you know, in my business, I get a chance to build beautiful homes uh, for, for people. And, and every time they come into the new home, they say, this is beautiful. He goes, and that's awesome, but I realized... For the next 10 years, do I just want to keep building beautiful things? Nothing wrong with building beautiful things. He said, I thought I wanted to go about maybe another way of building things. I said, well, tell me about that. I was sitting in his house at the time, and his house is amazing. He says, well, 
I want to start building homes for people like I built my home where the whole thing is a giant story. Like, what do you mean? So he walks me in this kitchen, this amazing kitchen, 10 foot by 10 foot uh, cooking area um, in the center. I mean, talk about an island. Beautiful, beautiful kitchen. But between his kitchen and his living room is this giant archway, like three, two and a half, three foot wide uh, stonework inside the house, 30 foot across and eight foot tall. Gorgeous stonework. He said, my wife and I were celebrating our, our 20-year anniversary, and we were in Italy, and we just saw this incredible stonework, and the archway is considered the strongest of, of, uh, of, of building shapes. He said, we just began to reflect on our marriage and said, you know, our marriage has been the bedrock of our life. It's been the bedrock of our family. We've really built our life around prioritizing our marriage. It's like the archway that everything is about. And he said, we want to build a home that every day we're going to walk from our kitchen into the living room, kitchen, living room. It's going to be remind us that we are prioritizing God's keeping our marriage strong. He said, I grew up on a farm, and, and that farming instinct from my grandparents had such an influence on me. He walked me over to a stairwell, and his stairwell, I noticed, was round. So when you walk into the house, it looks like a giant silo going up, beautifully decorated on the outside with just interesting pulleys and things. And you go around to the other side, this high-end uh, door gets open, and then you've got a, a round staircase that goes up to a second floor through the silo. Because every time I walk through the house, I'm reminded of my grandparents, their influence, their faith, being at their farm, how their faith impacted our lives. And he just walked through the whole house, and he says, this house, it reminds me of what God has done, what we prioritize, and so now the whole architecture is designed to tell the story of our life. He says, so I just felt like God said, either way is fine, keep building your business the way it is, or maybe it's time, if this is what you're passionate about, to do this as well. So he had this spiritual retreat, and he said, you know, I think I'm going to spend my life doing this. So over the next couple of years, he, he rolled this company down, and he started building a company with this storytelling architecture. He didn't have the overhead of the building anymore and all the employees anymore. He built this incredible office I got to see right outside of his home so he doesn't have to commute anymore. And I said, well, tell me about how's it going. He's like, I didn't think I'd make as much money, but it turned out I've made just as much and more. I was able to raise my fee because instead of kind of meeting with you as the architect and like having someone else do the work, I'm able to tell people that, no, I personally work with you. I take less projects, but I only do the projects I want to work on. I said, well, give me an example of that. He said, well, when I meet with, with families, it's kind of interesting because I ask them questions that most people don't typically ask. Like, tell me about the hardest time in your life and your family. Tell me what got you through. So one couple I was talking to just said the last 10 years they'd been through cancer and chemo treatments, and how hard it was. It was a dark, dark time. So what did you learn through that? Because we learned to, to not take any day for granted, to make the most of every single day. And we came through that, and our marriage is stronger. In fact, we never realized how strong our marriage was. We didn't realize how much hope we had. We didn't realize how God could bring light into darkness. And so he crafts this house that has this really cool, intimate sitting room where you and one other person can sit in the sitting room, but it's also got a pass-through. It's so got kind of this cool little intimate room that he built into one portion of the house, and you sit there, but it gets very, very dark, and the architecture kind of comes down for a moment, and you sit in this room, kind of this intimate, almost like candlelit, dark area. And then as you pass through it, the next room opens up to this grand room with light everywhere. A constant reminder that when you go through darkness, the light is brighter because your eyes dilated to the dark room to more experience the light of the bright room. He goes, it's a constant story of how 
God worked in their life, and the architecture tells the story of God's faithfulness. He's, you know, God would have been happy, I'm really convinced, whether I just kept growing the business this way or grew it this way, but because I inquired of the Lord, I'm doing something that I've always wanted to do in a way I want to do it that's blessing people in a different way than I used to bless people. Which is so exciting to hear him assessing from God, hearing from God, and seeing that play out. And Josiah is doing the same thing. What does God want from me? What does God want me to do with this throne, this influence that I have? How about you? Where you're sitting? Have you assessed your finances? Have you looked at God's priorities? Your family's one of them. Savings, one of them. Financially giving is one of them. Giving to the poor is one of them. Giving to his bride, the church, is one of them. But have you taken time to assess and then inquire of God? God, what word do you have for me buried under my treasures? What do you want from me? Study me, assess me, God, as I study you. And look how he responds. This is so amazing. He's transformed with a tender heart. So Hilkiah the priest went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Sholem, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, the king, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm going to bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants because of the long history of rebellion. All the words of the, the book that you read about, which is when you disobey me, bad stuff happens and it's happening, that's true. Because, as you know, you've forsaken me, burned incense to other or gods. You, you might provoke me to anger with all the works of your hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against the people and shall not be quenched. I'm thinking, this is not the message I was hoping for, right? <laughs> this is not good news. Keep, keep reading. God says, I'm going to be consistent with everything I said in that book. But, but, as for this king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words you have heard in the Bible, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard that I spoke against this and against its inhabitants. And look at that, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. You want to know what God wants from you and I? A heart that is tender and humble. And because of that, when you heard that this place is going to become a desolation and a curse, you repented. And in the Jewish culture, to repent, to grieve, is to tear your clothes and weep before God. God, oh, I'm so sorry if I've broken your heart. I've broken your commands, but I've also broken your heart, God. I also have heard you, God says. I've heard you. I've seen your heart. I've seen your repentance. I've seen you ask me what I want. And it's moved me. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. It's not going to happen in your day. And you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. You're going to experience peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I'm going to bring on this place. Because I'm going to honor your obedience. So they brought back word to the king. God has seen your tender heart. You know, one of the most incredible compliments that I was ever paid is when I first started working here 20 years ago. The elders, and I was interviewing with the elders and the exec board members and staff members, and, and the elders said to me, they said, Chad, 
I said, well, what are you looking at a 30-year-old for this position for? And I said, well, what keeps striking all of us is you have such a Davidic heart. And they've said that to me several times the last 20 years. And I'm not sure there's a higher compliment that I could be paid. I got a lot of weaknesses. I got a lot of idiosyncrasies. But man, to have people who see you and observe you say about you that you have a Davidic heart, I just don't know it's a higher compliment. In fact, many of you wrote letters about what God has been doing in your life, and I'm not going to read. These are just excerpts of maybe a hundred letters that came in about how God has impacted you through our church that you guys wrote to me for my anniversary. Here's just a few things. We've been attending Horizon every Sunday when we're not traveling. We're addicted to the verse-by-verse teaching. We always leave our spiritual, with our spiritual tanks more full than when we arrived. Another couple. We both started learning so much from messages. I couldn't believe the things I'd missed all these years. I love history and, and, and so love the Old Testament. I read the Bible now and a new understanding and I love God's word. I also Zoom with the Tuesday morning women's Bible study and never miss a Tuesday. And my husband is on Zoom with men's Thursday morning group. Another person wrote, Horizon's messages help our boys as they are away for college. And he go on and on. Another person, I knew the first time I came to Horizon I was home. It just goes on and on. People coming for two months, people coming for ten years. And how they've learned to love God. They've learned to study his word. They've seen their lives and their marriages changed. That's what my life, I want my life to be about. That's what I want our church's life to be about, is developing tender hearts toward God. And what would it look like for you to do that? To assess and study, to be conformed to the king of the word, like Josiah's was. What does it look like to tenderize your heart by assessing the value of God? That's what worship is. You assess his value And then you raise it up and you bow down to it. What would it look like for you to tenderize your heart by assessing and counting the resources in your life? Maybe that results like Steve of saying, man, I want more margin in my life. I want more freedom in my life. Maybe like Steve it means, man, I haven't really been prioritizing God's bride, the local church at Horizon. And I want to financially give in such a way to be part of that. I want other people to have the kind of life experience that I've had. Maybe God would prompt you to do that. It would assess you to find the freedom of being addicted to to controlling the future or, or needing other people's approval. But we as a church want to help you tenderize your heart by the study of God's word. How do we do that? How do we dig into that? So let me give you a couple tools that we make available to help you assess God's word. A lot of those you can find on our website, but they're also all on our app. So if you've never used our app, you can download that at Horizon Space CC. And here's what comes up. Our current messages are always there. So if you miss a week, you can go back and watch. For some of you, you, you come to the equipping service like you're here now, but many people during the week use our exploring service as another kind of shot in the arm spiritually. And they watch the other service as a way to kind of grow spiritually. There's another way in which, if you look here, you can see that there's a, a past messages and worship sets down here. Past messages, we went through and filed and categorized all of our messages for 20 years by topic, depression, leadership, parenting, marriage. A way in which you can... Find God's word by topic of what you're wrestling with. These are the tools that your finances you give here make us able to help people. But maybe you love worship. I love to worship. So besides on Sunday, we have a click, a little button there called worship sets. 
I, I've used this thing four times the last two weeks. You can just pull up worship sets we've done by topic, by passage, by worship night, and just listen to 15 minutes of worship, 30 minutes of worship, 45 minutes of worship. It's a great way to when you're worrying, when you're concerned, when you just need to reprioritize, click it on, put it up on your TV, watch it on your iPad, and just have some moments ascribing worth to God. So our worship sets. Our pathway. Typically, Drew and I have to cut 50% of our material before we deliver our messages on Sunday. Sometimes I cut 50% twice. And so often what we will do is right after the service, we'll go up and we'll record in our video studio a little two-minute additional piece, a little additional piece we cut from the messages to kind of help you personally, help you in your small group. So if you never tried the pathway, every week there's a personal Bible study you can use or your small group can use and a little video, a little added material to bring insight to the text that was cut. Use the pathway as a way to grow spiritually each week. Then lastly, my favorite tool is a tool of a button called Book by Book. And you want to know the vision of our church? It's to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible. And we believe in verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching. So if you click on verse-by-verse, -verse, you will see every book of the Bible is up there. And every message we've done for 20 years is up there. So you look right there, Genesis. We did 50 messages in Genesis. I've covered everything except Jacob and Esau's story still to come. Look at the book of Exodus. We've covered half of it through two series. We'll cover the other half soon, probably three years, I think. Uh, we did Leviticus, 27 messages in Leviticus. We did Numbers, 39 messages. I haven't been courageous enough to do Deuteronomy. Drew's going to do that in about 10 years. Um, <laughs> but you want to see our vision as a church? There it is. We teach through the Bible. And if you weren't here for that, this is your spiritual growth mechanism. I have people every week come up and say, Chad, I loved your message on Galatians. From 2008? Yeah. Using our previous messages and Bible studies to keep growing yourself. Use this as an opportunity. Many are on audio for two-thirds of our, our history. Many are on video. But use these as tools to assess God, to dig into God. And just know when you're serving here, when you're financially giving here, it's creating tools to help people grow. But the goal of our church is not to become really good at Bible trivia. I'm pretty good at Bible trivia, and that is not the goal. The goal is to worship God, to ascribe, to lift him up, and to bow down before his majesty. So I want to invite the band to come out, and we want to do what Josiah did. To just admit, God, I have ignored you far more than I should. I have not prioritized you the way you deserve. God, my life has become all about blah. Whatever your blah is. My life has become all about A or B or C. And it has not become all about you. Father, we... Uh we love you. We love what you did for us. We love how faithful you are. We love that we are loved by you. So, Father, I just uh, ask for your grace and your mercy. See our hearts. See our hearts tenderizing towards you. And, Father, uh, give us grace. May your, your face shine upon us in seeing the intentions of our heart towards you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Other ways you can connect before you leave today. Um, 
if you would like to just connect with other women in the church, we have a group coming up called Captivated. It's a, it's a Thursday, uh, Thursday and a Thursday coming up in, in July, August, and September. A great way to kind of see some great art, but also meet some people and kind of know more than just what happens in this room. Another thing we have coming up uh, is Coffee and Connect. So in two weeks, right after uh, both the 830 service and 945, just again, a chance to connect with people, mingle. Hey, how do I connect? Is there any groups, any way in which we can help you connect and grow deeper as a church? Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.